Hi, everyone. I'm Mark Oppenheimer, and this is The Syllabus, a podcast about politics on American college campuses. The Syllabus is a production of American Jewish University. And if you want to know more about the work we do there, go to aju.edu slash open. That's our office of open learning. It's aju.edu slash open. Of course, this podcast is also a production of Inside Higher Ed, and all of their extraordinary content about the state of higher education can be found at insidehighered.com. This week on the syllabus, the first of a two-parter. I've never done a two-parter before, but this is a two-parter. I wanted to learn more about the California Ethnic Studies requirement. Some of you might know that beginning in about a year or so, all California high school students will have to take a semester of ethnic studies to graduate from high school. It will be a requirement, the way English is a requirement, or mathematics. And that means that across the state, and it is the most populous state in the country, high schools are scrambling to figure out what courses they can offer that will meet this ethnic studies requirement. Now, the state, to be helpful, has put together something called the California Model Ethnic Studies Curriculum. And this model curriculum gives a lot of guidance for what kinds of topics are appropriate in these classes. The methodology, the pedagogy, the way of looking at things, which groups can be covered, groups like African-Americans or Native Americans or Chicanos and Latinos of other kinds or Asian-Americans. But a lot of questions have been left up in the air. Would a class on Jewish-American novels be considered a fulfillment of the requirement, for example? Would a class on people of the Romani, what used to be called gypsy community, fulfill the requirement, even though that's not a large ethnic group in California or even in the United States. In other words, which groups are in, which groups are out. And some people had concerns that the model ethnic studies curriculum, which again is just guidance, it doesn't necessarily prescribe a particular syllabus for any group, but some people had concerns that the model ethnic studies curriculum was pretty heavy handed with a left leaning ideological slant. So what I wanted to do was talk to people on two sides of the question, if you will. I wanted to talk to somebody who was enthusiastic about this new ethnic studies curriculum and new ethnic studies requirement in the California schools. And I wanted to talk to somebody who was less enthusiastic. So I'm going to start with the pro rather than the con. Laura Roberts is a social studies teacher in Vacaville, California. She's on the school's equity team. She's a board member for the Ida B. Wells Foundation. And she is somebody who thinks that teaching ethnic studies in high schools is a terrific idea. She thinks the requirement is good. And she is optimistic about the model ethnic studies curriculum that California has put out as a guideline that high schools can follow. In a subsequent week, I will talk to someone who is not enthusiastic about this statewide requirement as it has come to be understood by the high schools that have to implement it. But bracket that, and this week, listen to this conversation with Laura Roberts. Now, you might ask, what does any of this have to do with campus politics, which is the focus of this podcast? Well, as you'll hear from this interview, the ethnic studies courses are based on a pedagogy and a methodology that Laura Roberts is quite explicit, has been formulated at the college level. In other words, they're trying to take what exists in ethnic studies programs or ethnic studies majors at California colleges and universities and create a high school version of it. So she's very clear that this whole idea has filtered down from state universities. And the question then is how well can this methodology meant for college students, for graduate students, be implemented for 15 or 16 or 17 years old? That's how Laura Roberts sees it, as a, an adaptation of a college idea 
into high schools. And unsurprisingly, the terminologies, the methodologies, the pedagogies, they sound pretty collegiate. They sound like what you're hearing is being fought over at some campuses and universities. You'll see lots of intersections with questions of diversity and diversifying the curriculum and equity and inclusion. This is a way that these college discussions are being imported into California's high schools. So I think you'll learn a lot. And again, if you're frustrated at the end of this episode, maybe that's just a reason you'll want to listen to the next episode when we hear from someone who is upset by this whole movement. But first, Laura Roberts, California social studies teacher. Tell us who you are and what you do for a living. My name is Laura Roberts. I wear several hats. I'm the assistant principal right now at an elementary school in a school district in Northern California. And I'm also the district's equity coach where I get to go and visit other school sites and work with them on equity, anti-racism. And I am also the coordinator of ethnic studies in my district as well. Okay. So I'm not a Californian. I've seen a lot of attention paid to the ethnic studies model curriculum in California took something like 15 or 16 years since the idea was first proposed at the legislature to be made into a requirement of state high school educations. So maybe you could quickly give us the background of what the ethnic studies model curriculum is, what's required in schools, and how it functions at your high school. Yeah, so there's a couple things. There's a model curriculum, and that is pretty much ethnic studies is built based on the college level studies that's been around for the last 50 years, right? So it's mainly based on the history of ethnic studies. And then we have various units throughout, but it's African American studies, um, Asian American studies, Native American studies, Chicano studies, and they're all wrapped up. And because it can be localized, you have the freedom to add in other units as well. So like in my area, we cover Jewish American, and then we also have Arab American. That's all tied up to it. Because really, it's about the experiences of Americans here within our nation and some power struggles and stuff like that. So the model curriculum is just like a guideline of, hey, local school districts, here are some possible ideas on how to structure your units. And you can follow it or you can't follow it. It's not very strict on it because it's still new and it's still unrolling. And so I've been lucky where we were able to pass it in my district about four years ago before the actual rollout. So ours is like a year long course at the high school level given to 11th and 12th graders as an elective. And then there's various units, the very first unit being what is ethnic studies? What are these power dynamics that we're talking about? We go through all the different ethnic groups for each unit. And then at the very end, it's like a service learning project. You pick a group, you pick whoever, and what are some gaps? What are some needs? How can we improve that community? What's required then? Is there anything required by the, the, the state statute? The state requires that you have a course, a semester at least. Right. Like I said, right now, we just have an elective. So when the when it comes down, it will we'll get the required class. And then it has to be a standalone class. You can't say we covered in our U.S. history. And then there's various other things about is it talking about racialized groups? So we can't be like, oh, we're going to go ahead and teach about this aspect or that. It needs to be based on that ethnic studies model of that universities had. So just to be clear. It requires every high school in the state to offer a standalone 
elective of at least a semester. Yes. Yeah, so the law says like in 2025, every school district has to offer it. And then I believe, was it 2029? And forgive me, I, did, I shouldn't have looked at the numbers where you have to, it has to be on a graduation requirement. Wow. And semester is half a year. So every student wants to spend a half a year. And it depends on the district if they want a semester, if they want a full year, it, it can look very different. So like if there was a Asian American writing class, that might constitute as ethnic studies, right? We have multiple, it's a social science class, but there's other class, like it might be like an African American studies class or a writing class that's focused on one group that actually counts as ethnic studies as well. So if a class were offered in the Jewish American novel, that would count? That is a great question. And I think that's up to the district. But as far as the state's concerned, your perception is that would count. That I do not believe would count. And again, I'm not a state representative on that. Sure. I I just want to throw that out there. No, I understand. But you are in your district. First of all, you've talked about this. You've been very public as an advocate for it. You are a kind of coordinator for it at your high school and in your district. So I'm, I'm not holding you to know everything about it. Why would that not count? in your perception? I think the model has always been based on universities. So, and that's just from my understanding, it's based on the universities, what the university offers as part of the ethnic studies department. Now, if there's a university that does have Jewish American studies in it, I don't see why that's not. But then again, my knowledge is based on what universities have at ethnic studies department, because that was what it was for the last 50 years. Your understanding is, the half semester course that will come into being required within a few years for graduation from California high schools has to be based on the university ethnic studies paradigm, as you understand it. What's the model that meets the requirement? You're saying certain courses would fit the requirement and certain ones wouldn't. And the ones that would, they meet it because they are following a kind of university level ethnic studies model. So I'm curious, like, what's the model? Why would a course on, say, literature not meet the model? Usually from what I, again, from what I understand, it's going to be based on the historically racialized groups and what California counts as racialized. So again, I'm all about adding on extra, Yeah, you know what I mean? But again, what the state says, right, is what counts. And so if there's a large district and they have the population to say, we're going to have this course. And it's going to be based on on the experience, the power struggles, the laws, all within the United States. And many groups fall into that. Now, I think there's going to be a huge gap on what districts end up doing and what the state's model would be. Now, is it going to be closely aligned? That I don't know. But I know from my experience, it's seen as the like the racialized groups that colleges normally so, cover. Okay. Yeah. What are the racialized groups? The racialized groups would be African American studies, Chicano studies, Native American studies, and Asian American studies, right? Are there Arab American studies? Yes. Like I said, we added on that unit as well, right? If universities have a Jewish American, is that considered a racialized course? But you're saying it has to deal with one or all of the four core racialized groups as you see it to count to meet the requirement? No, it's well. So what the bill says is that, right, schools have to have an ethnic studies course and it has to be approved by the governing board. Right. That's what it says. And it's actually really it's vague. I think I don't know if it's on purpose, but it's vague of what it says. And so we look at universities to see what they offer. 
So the bill actually says that ethnic studies course requirement, and it has to be approved yeah. by the governing board, right? The governing board of the local district? Yes. Is that the governing board, the relevant says. board? That's literally okay. what it says, that we have to offer it, and it doesn't say anything else, and it's, it's vague. So that's why, okay, that's why I'm bouncing back to the question. Just as an example, we could say a course on Jewish American literature. We could also say a course on Ukrainian American literature or Yiddish American literature. In your perception, why would a governing board not want to approve that? Those are ethnic groups. Yeah, no. We're studying them. Why do they not pass the bar as you see it? I think that's a great question. I don't know why they wouldn't. Again, it can, based on the location, the history of that institution. I, I don't see that, that why that wouldn't, to be honest, because you're looking at the experiences, you're reading about the power dynamic. A lot of it's a power dynamic. It's liberation for that group. You want empowerment. You want to be able to give agency to those students to be able to study and to learn. And a lot of it crosses between different groups, a lot of those power dynamics. So I personally, I can't give you an answer for that, but I know that it's based on what the district will approve, the governing board. And, and I think it's vague for a reason. Okay. That's totally understandable. So you've talked a lot about how the point of the class, it seems to me, is to empower students or give them agency. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Maybe the way to, to go about it is for me to just pose the question, why is this a good requirement to have? I think a lot of it is because in the United States, when we were in high school, elementary school, we've always been passed down this dominant narrative. And this dominant narrative, this is what history is, and this is the experiences, and then that's it. And as a person, especially a person of color from a different ethnic group, you don't have those exact experiences and you don't see yourself in the curriculum. And then you start myself, you know, I can only use myself an example right now is that I never saw my background whatsoever in any type of history of class or nothing. And it, it, you start to feel like maybe I don't belong here or maybe how do I fit in my own community? How do I fit in, in, in the history of our country? And so when we have, when you bring in this as experience and you're empowering, yes, you belong here. Your family's been here for generations. You know what I mean? It's never been part of that dominant narrative. Then you have this sense of agency, this is empowerment of, yes, I do belong here and I can help improve not only my community, but I could also help improve other parts of society so we could be proud of who we are and not feel like we don't belong here. Please, if you like this episode, just subscribe to future episodes. Just go on and make sure that you're subscribed so you always get the download so you never forget to listen to us. And if you want to give us a strong rating, that would be helpful too. Thanks ever so much. Do these goals require a certain kind of pedagogy or is it just a matter of teaching about the group? No, you need to have the different pedagogy. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, the pedagogy is very different. It's very different. So it strikes, but shouldn't pedagogy be about just telling kids true things about history? Is that not enough? That's not what pedagogy is. It's not just about true thing. What's true to you is going to be different for me in my experience versus someone else with a different do you, experience. Do you believe there's such thing as objective truth? On some things, but history is written by certain perspectives. So I'm, I'm thinking about my own European U.S. history class, which taught that there was a Holocaust of Jews in which millions were killed because of fascist Germany and its machinations. That's pretty incontrovertible, right? Oh, yeah. No, no one's distributing that. Yeah, no. That's taught in all our world history classes. That's a world history topic. And there's a whole unit. <laughs> right. I'm just trying to think. I'm trying to think it wasn't taught with regard to empowering me. 
as a Jewish person. It was taught with regard to conveying me the truth because when you know history, you are a more empowered person. Is that not a sufficient pedagogical model for teaching no, European not history? Enough. I don't I, it, No, In my opinion, I think that's not enough. It needs to be all the time. Right. So that's why when we have this class, the pedagogy of ethnic studies is really for that empowerment. And so, for example, when I'm teaching about African-American studies and we're going on about the civil rights movement, I will bring in like Jewish community came in and helped out. You know what I mean? We bring in that solidarity. And then when you start bringing in those other groups, look how this group helped out with this group. And then they were like, oh, wow, they're brought up numerous times throughout the year, not just in that one frame, in that one segment in your year. Think about listening, hearing about your group from the beginning of the year, the middle of the year, two thirds of the year. And you're like, wow, my community is so amazing, powerful, or, you know, empowered I am and powerful we are because we've always made a stance. It was just never taught about in school rather than just one unit or one Holocaust to hear that. Right. And so when we teach about that, I had many Jewish American students in my classroom and they would tell me this is the first time I get to hear wonderful things about positive things about my group and my people throughout the whole year and not just the really sad, tragic, which is important. However, this is meant to be, again, empowering. And so this is positive. This is uplift. This is a pedagogy of uplift, of positivity, of empowerment. And obviously you're then going to choose examples that are going to show uplift and positivity and solidarity. It's going to be a lot of good news. Yes. There's going to be something that's like, this is disturbing and, and I'm not going to lie, just like history, there are things that are really disturbing. But the whole port- point of the course is really to uplift all of us together, to work together, not as just your group versus this group. No, we are going to work together so we could help improve our communities right? And whatever you need, I got you. As somebody who's been through college ethnic studies classes as I was, and I was a history major, I know we're both from history and social studies backgrounds, right? I was always taught that the point of the education was to give us knowledge, not to give us the good news. And sometimes knowledge is just as often bad news or painful or destructive or despairing or disempowering as it is uplifting. So it sounds like there's, what you're saying is this is a real shift into a kind of selection of the good stuff. Yes. But imagine being a person who's listening and your group only comes up when there's bad news, when it's the ugly history. And that's the only time you see yourself in that class. That was pretty much my experience as a Jew, right? Now let's flip that script and let's hear about your group throughout the entire year of positive things and not that to discredit the bad things are going to happen, Right. However, now we flipped it and you're just like, oh my gosh, this is phenomenal. Are you concerned? Are you concerned that when you start with a goal like that of positivity and uplift, that it might prejudice the kind of narrative that you tell, that you might end up telling a narrative that's false or biased because you're trying to get to a certain result rather than just conveying the important knowledge? No, it's not told based on a narrative. I don't tell them. I said, this is the, the people from those groups. I say, you know about your community more than I do. And this is going to be based on your experience. We're going to take some of that storytelling that was passed down in your family, in your community, and I'm going to validate it for once. But what if it's, what if it's wrong? What if the stories they were told weren't true? My family tells all sorts of nonsensical legends that I would be (laughs) advised not to believe. Yeah, but that's for you, right? That's for you. It's because when it comes down to it, What's been validated and passed down are just let along stories. 
there's stories that's been passed down. And however, it's a written story, if it's the primary source, secondary source, and that counts as validation. But for once, we are now validating the other stories we've always been told. But I feel you're, con- aren't we mixing up there family stories and community narratives and legends, some of which might, which are worth studying on their own merits as artifacts of a culture, but which might, which might not be historically verifiable. Aren't we conflating those or confusing those with the kind of history that scholars study and try to establish as best we can as true based on their knowledge of the sources, of archival materials, of the relevant languages? It's not meant to be just a history class. It's meant to be some of those empowering pieces of culture, of family, of community base. We're giving power to those voices that never had it before. So there is going to be that scholarship mixed in. And again, what I say is I'm not to tell you whether it's right or wrong. Your feelings, your experiences is going to shape what you believe. So how do you grade, how do you grade a student? And I don't think that grading is the end all and be all of teaching. I would prefer that we didn't have letter grades and that we had to write qualitative evaluations of all of our students. Nevertheless, how do you grade a student on what they feel? How do you give them a a B minus on what they've decided is true? So when it comes to that, so what we do is like a lot of our assignments are going to be full on projects, presentations, going to be essay writing. It's going to be research. And so do they have the facts and do they have their evidence in? Are they critically thinking about power dynamics? But once we hook those kids in, they do all the work. They do all of it. They're just like, this is the most exciting thing I've ever seen. I've never studied anything like this. And it's just go. They put in that effort. Criticisms of this model curriculum, which I understand you're saying doesn't have to be adopted at all. It's really just a guideline that can be totally discarded so long as the district comes up with a semester-long class that meets some of the same objectives. But I've seen criticisms of the model studies, ethnic model studies curriculum in California, that it is politically biased against capitalism, against the West, that it basically treats the history of the United States in particular, but the West as a history best seen as oppression, exploitation that needs to be overturned. Are those fair critiques? Uh, that's with any history, right? If you study the history, like you said, there are factual things, right? And we said, look at the evidence. What is the evidence? What is going on here? And then I, I don't come up with the answer for them. I let them, I will guide them. These are some things. Look at the evidence. What are you noticing? What are you not noticing? Based on your experience, what is it? What conclusion are you coming up with? And these kids are smart. They're brilliant. So some students whose families might have had a negative experience with capitalism, that might be their story. And some students whose families got here and their family opened a small business and it really thrived. That would also be a perfectly valid kind of narrative yeah, and to like, tell. And you know what? We're talking about privilege, not privilege. If we're all about sticking together and helping one another, and I have a bigger voice than you, I'm going to use my voice to help you out. So what do you see as the change in a student who's been through an ethnic studies class that you teach? Oh. It's phenomenal. Like the students, they open up their life. They said, this is the first time that I felt alive. I felt seen. I felt everything that I felt like I had gone through. And I taught the the high schoolers and it was just, they said, this is the best class. It taught me not only who I am as a person, because there's a whole unit on student identity. Not only do I learn about who I am, I learned about who my classmates are and I have a better understanding of them. So you believe that students have to read books by people who look like them? I 
I think that students should be able to read books from people who not only look like them, but others. I don't want to read just books that look about me. I want to read books about from other perspectives. I want to know about everyone in the room. So final question. The law that's been passed uh, mandating these classes in high school, semester-long ethnic studies class, the curriculum, do you have any critiques of it? Is there anything about it that's bad that you would have changed, either in the law or the curriculum? The curriculum is like a guideline. As a teacher, we pick and choose our lessons, and I'm not going to like all the lessons. And I think I am lucky because I did study ethnic studies in college, and I am able to find curriculum and write curriculum that suits my needs and my students' needs. With someone who doesn't have that background, I don't know what their experience is. I don't know if they're just picking a lesson and teaching it blindly. I know there are critiques on many lessons, and I think how it's taught is actually more important because, again, no one's going to be using the script for every single thing. And if that's the case, maybe there are people who are doing that. That means that maybe they haven't had the training to really bring in those student voices and not just what's thrown up there. Because, again, I think teaching used to be here's a worksheet. Here's a ditto. Here you go. What's going to get pushed aside to make room for this requirement? It depends. Some districts have health. Some districts don't. Some districts may end up getting rid of AP classes. So it just depends. It depends if they want to adopt it at a, a freshman level versus a, an upper level. And that's the thing about districts. It's all local. In your schools, in your school, what are you pushing? What might a student not get because they're getting this? It's not that we're not, not getting is that we're going to shift around other classes because right now. Well, if you add in a required class, you got to lose something. Yeah. So like right now what we are you have losing? health and then we're going to put health and we're going to mix it in with our science and our PE. So, so they'll get less health or less PE. They well, got it. I mean, Something's got to go. You, we're splitting it into other areas. Yeah, that's what we're doing. We're, we're Something's getting shrunken out of there. I, I, I see what you're saying, but it, it's just, it's just going to get it in other areas, right? Within their PE classes and within their science classes and stuff like that. Um, we also have another elective that's given during uh, our freshman year. And that's like a focused study. Study class. skills, how to study. It, Yeah, but if we embed that knowledge into all the regular classes on how to study, then we don't have to have a standalone class. So there'll be nothing lost. You can add this in without losing anything. No, there's, there's going to be some stuff lost, but I can't tell you what it is for each district. Even in my district, they're still discussing it. Would you be okay with a semester less of U.S. history to make room for this? Of U.S. history? Yeah. We can't. That's against... Gregory. Oh, you have to keep U.S. history. Oh, yeah. Oh, so it's... And you have to keep four years of English, I assume. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it'll, the, health will get the, the shaft. electives are going to shift, right? So there's going to be... Uh, the electives are going to look different. AP classes, a CTE classes. I just don't know what it's going to look like. All right. Thank you so much. I've taken up enough of your time. Thanks for listening to The Syllabus. It's a weekly podcast. It's a production of American Jewish University and Inside Higher Ed. Would you subscribe and rate us? That would be just a swell of you. And if you have comments, please send them to mark.oppenheimer at aju.edu. We love suggestions for future guests. That's something you could send us. And I want to thank our team. It includes editor Jacob Kaufman, producer Alyssa Silva, and also the others, Sherry Hirely, Tessa Grasso, and Amelia Hamill. At Inside Higher Ed, we offer big thanks to Doug Letterman. Join us next time on The Syllabus.